let's open up our Bibles. Uh, Luke um, chapter 12 is where we're going to go. We're not going to go to too many places today in the Bible. Um, you might say a little bit of a Bible study that uh, we're just going to look at. And uh, if you want a title, it's Why Worry um, in Life? Why Worry? What have we got to worry about? God's on our side. And uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's right. That's the scripture, isn't it? We're reminded of these things that when the Lord is for us, that we know that we've got the victory in our life. That uh, sometimes we have to be patient, sometimes we endure, sometimes we continue to seek and look to the Lord, but God has the answer for us in whatever situation that we might find ourselves in in our lives. Here in uh, Luke chapter 12, we just want to start here. It's um, interesting going through the book of Luke um, as uh, the author here is really just probably uh, one of the first uh, books here that we've got uh, of the Gospels as it was written and uh, uh, perhaps the record that he brings out is a little bit more comprehensive in some respects than the others. Um, and certainly uh, when you read through, I was a person who always went to Matthew. Uh, I read Matthew first, so it was always, if I was thinking about a particular scripture, it was the one in Matthew that came to my mind, whereas uh, we know that the other Gospels contain many of the same scriptures, and in some cases there's additions, they're just words that are added in that just add a little bit more meaning and depth to perhaps what we're reading. Anyway, uh, for tonight here, let's just start in verse 15. So uh, we find Jesus here just uh, starting to speak to the people that are gathered here, and he says uh, to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. We live in a world where today it's the fear of missing out, FOMO, isn't it, that people get concerned about in life. I'm going to miss out. I've got to have this before I'm this age, otherwise I'll never get it. And I remember back in the workplace, back over in Perth, and uh, I was sitting around one time, this is going back probably 20 or so years now, and uh, listening to some of the chatter amongst uh, a few of the others in the office there, and they were talking about uh, the houses that they had and that they were building and so on. And I'm just thinking, you're so young, and yet your aspirations are so high. And it's like there's this disparity, isn't it? I remember one particular lady that uh, went through that, and when um, there was a threat to a husband losing his job, it was like the whole world was just about to cave in because it was the rug being pulled out from under them. What have I lost it all? So people are so focused on what they've got to enjoy this life and it becomes just this sole focus that people have. It's about the pleasures of this life. It's about having everything that they want that opens and shuts and it's about having the right partner and if you don't have the right partner, then uh, it's all too easy to say bye-bye and go and find another one that uh, might fit the bill. Although often what you find is... Uh, uh, history uh, says the, um, the people who do the surveys on these things will tell you that once that process starts, it tends to continue. Um, anyway, uh, as we've got here, take heed and beware of covetousness, that uh, a man's life is nothing to do with what we have in terms of material possessions in any way, what we might gather. He then goes on to speak this parable in verse 16. 
saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? He's driving around some of the um, fields here, uh, driving over to Adelaide, and you see the stockpile of grain that's been built up from what was a bumper crop this last year. And uh, perhaps uh, brings this home to us that the farmers have had it good. They don't always get it good. In fact, there's probably more often than not it isn't. Uh, so they enjoy the good when it comes along. But uh, the man here is obviously someone whose life has been blessed. And from that he accumulates and he builds. And it says in verse 18, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, don't know who says this, but soul, you have much goods laid up for many years, take on ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And I think the point that the Lord is really making to us here is there's this process that goes on inside a person. When things are going well, it's like, isn't this good? And it's so easy just to rest on those things. But as we read on, there's uh, more to this. In verse 20, it says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. That word required there means to demand back. It's like it's being borrowed. Your soul, as it were, is borrowed goods from God. And God's going to come along one day and he's going to say, come back, it's time's up. And uh, that's the point that's being made here. Then those who shall, uh, sorry, who shall those things be which you have provided? And the summary, if you like, here is so is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, in some way allowing the things of this life to go up into priority number one mode and the things of God to sort of fall down the list somewhere. There should be no sort of comparison when you think about it. God is our life. God has saved us. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. He brought into being a plan in creation that was purposely made for you and I. Think about that for a moment. Right back in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the universe and everything that's within it, your name was written down in the future. Each one of us. God had it there. And so today when the Lord's found us and sealed us with his Holy Spirit of promise, all he wants us to do is to be grateful for that in how we show back to him that gratitude for what God has done in our life. And it's not in serving this life and making things comfortable for ourselves. In fact, it's being rich towards God as it's described here. Let's go on in verse 22. He changes tack a little bit as we go through here. In verse 22 he says, He said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. So he says, I don't want you worrying about these things, the natural things of life. Uh, I was watching Kira giving a testimony there and a little baby bump is growing. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you, Kira. Um, she's doing very well, looking after herself. Uh, but the little baby bump's growing there. And it's natural that 
as you head towards the baby being born, mums have what's called the nesting instinct. Hands up the husbands that notice this. Not game, okay? <laughs> Chickens. <laughs> I remember it very well with the first in particular. Oh, here he is, Aaron. <laughs> um, Tony had it very strongly. You know, the room had to be ready. Steve, get onto it. <laughs> Make the room the way it ought to be. And, uh, of course, the things that are needed to populate the room have to come along. It's all there, isn't it? And there's this nature inside a mother that says, I've got to do this. It's my baby that's coming. And uh, we're told here, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, uh, what you shall put on. We're just reminded that God is our provider, our carer, the one that sees everything in our life and just wants to bless our life with everything that we might need. He says in verse 23, the life is more than meat and the body is more than clothing or raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And this is something I've often observed. Um, Lee was asking about what birds do we get out here? And I can describe, we get one's that can be very colourful. I didn't describe this to Lee, but we can get green ones <laughs> and we can get sort of olivey brown ones that are this little big and this big. Does that help you? No. Okay. Um, that's about my knowledge of bird, birds. You know, they're little feathered things that come around here every now and again. Or we get those multicoloured ones when Tony puts out the seed uh, pod there for the birds to or to attract them along. Um, but if you notice, birds always seem to be supplied. They've always got the food supply that they need and they forage around, but there's always food for them, it would seem. Um, and God provides for them. And he's saying to us, aren't you much better than the birds of this of the air? You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you think about the preeminent position that man was put into in which God made him so much better in the position he put him in than all of the animals on this earth and you think about the nation of Israel that he carved out for himself that he chose and that he showered his love and blessing on continually even at times where they rejected him God was there for them how much more, he says, are we better than the fowls? In verse 25, And which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? Anne probably thinks about this scripture all the time, do you, Anne? Yeah? She was saying before, coming in here, about choosing her seat carefully uh, because of her stature. And uh, you, you can't... You can't wish to be taller and grow taller. At 16, I thought, this is great. I'm tall. There's only one problem. I stopped growing at 16. And, okay, I just had to accept it. 5.7, 5.7, 5.7 was my height. 
and that's the maximum I would ever grow to. <laughs> and if I measured now, I'd probably be a fraction shorter, you know, as you shrink over time, they say. Um, but why worry? Why worry about any of these things is the point. God's in our life. The creator of the heavens and the universe has come to dwell inside by giving us the Holy Ghost and all things are in his hands. Uh, verse 26, If you then be not able uh, to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? If we can't even deal with that, do that, as it were, then um, why worry about anything else that's outside of our control? And so much in life is actually out of our control, isn't it? We don't control what tomorrow might bring our way. We've just got to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. We'll look at a scripture on that in a moment. Uh, let's continue on. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And uh, you think about the Queen of Sheba coming to admire Solomon with all of his glory and all of his wealth. And yet the Lord is saying here, you take one little yellow flower that grows outside there, one little native and there's far more glory than Solomon ever had. And God provides that. Now, sometimes you look at the very small details in nature and the design that goes into it and you think, God created that. How marvellous is that? That if God's prepared to do things like that, what is he not prepared to do for us? The wonderful things the Lord promises. In verse 29 or verse 28, If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not you what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. And where earlier he uses a word, take no thought, in verse 25 and verse uh, 26, and it's the same word back in verse 22. He uses that word thought. The Greek word is merimneo, and it means to be anxious about. Don't be anxious about the things of this life and what we might feel we don't have. And sometimes, you know, we all get those urges to think, we've just got to have that. Do we really need it? Is it really going to make our life better? What do they say? It's an average of about six weeks and something new that you've bought, the shine's worn off it, and you're starting to look for the next thing. It's just the way the natural mind works. And advertising and uh, retail companies, of course, they focus on that kind of mentality in everything that's shown to us to try and remind us, you haven't got the latest, you haven't got the greatest, you haven't got the newest, you haven't got the one with the most features, and so on. So it's this trap that's continually being thrown to us. In verse 29, he uses a different word here. Neither be you of doubtful mind. The word doubtful mind is an interesting Greek word. It's the word, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this, meteorizo. It's 
the word meteor with I-Z-O on the end. And it does actually mean shooting, as it were, up into the sky. Uh, the meaning of the word is to waver or fluctuate in our mind, be agitated, harassed with the cares of this life, troubled in some way. Why worry? There's nothing to worry about, is the message. In verse 30, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Right to the extent of the kingdom of God, God wants to give us everything that pertains unto this life and so much more in the time to come, of course. Fear not. Don't become fearful in our natural life, in our natural ways. God has everything in hand. Verse 33 says, Sell that you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again he changes just a little bit to say, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And he draws on a couple of other little parables that we might be aware of when you think about the words that are used in here. The Amplified Bible brings out in verse 35 where it says, let your loins be girded. It says, be dressed and ready for active service and keep your lamps continuously burning. When you think about lamps burning, does it think it make you think of other scriptures in the Bible? Matthew 25, spot on, Ben. Makes you think immediately of the ten virgins, five of which were wise, five of which were foolish. And a reminder that uh, the Lord is encouraging us here, have our lamps burning brightly, take oil in our vessel, have it topped up, build up in the Holy Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost, feed on the Word of God. Pam mentioned in a testimony about how her, her walk really began. I think oh, I can't, can't quite remember the term that you used there. But uh, in reading the Bible, looking into the Word of God, praying in the Spirit, and it uh, brings alive our relationship with the Lord that we enjoy. And we're so grateful for it. Uh, verse 36. Um, and knew yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. In other words, ready and on our toes. Is on our toes a, a phrase we use often? I always think about it in cricketing terms. You are told to be on your toes in the field, you know, ready, moving, watching. Don't get caught out. And uh, that's what the Lord is uh, saying to us here. Just be ready. Be watching continually. Ready, no uncertainty. The Lord's coming back. I'm here. I'm ready for you, Lord, when you come back. I'm about your business. We don't have to quickly think, well, if the Lord was to come back today, what do I have to reorganize in my life to be ready for him? We've already done it. We've already taken those steps and uh, we're continuing to walk on in the ways of the Lord. Let's turn over to chapter 13. 
Luke chapter 13. And I uh, just want to read through here a slightly different aspect. Verse 18 says, Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew, and it waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Jesus speaks two parables back to back here. This is the first of them, and describing the kingdom of God now as a grain of mustard seed. And the irony in this is that mustard seed is a herb and it doesn't grow into a tree. It grows into a small bush. But in some rare instances, it grows into something, as it's described here, a great tree. It's not a great tree as such, but it it might be something that grows to sort of a reasonable height in the right conditions, the kingdom of God will grow and produce. And as it says, the uh, uh, fowls of the air will come and lodge in the branches thereof, describing the kingdom of God. But in verse 20, it says again, he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, to the whole was leavened. And then he says he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. It's like he leaves hanging these two particular parables. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the least of the seeds, and it's often described as having the faith as a grain of mustard seed, and from that faith can grow something that is good for others that we are useful to others, the kingdom of God that is provided in a way that others can come in and enjoy the same benefits and blessing in their life. However, there's this aspect of leaven that is described as something that goes into meal and it might be just a few specks because leaven ultimately spreads throughout and grows. And from that, it corrupts everything that is there. And we live in a world in which the kingdom of God is corrupted. People in this life have taken Christianity and made it into something that suits them and serving themselves rather than serving the kingdom of God. And for us, we've got to come back to what's important in life. It's not this natural life that we have. Rather, it's been part of the faith of a grain of mustard seed and the kingdom of God that grows and supports, as opposed to, as we're reading there, a leaven bag of meal that becomes corrupted in a religious sense. And sadly, the world's full of churches that are like that. And uh, it's the world we live in. In verse, uh, where are we going? Verse uh, 22, we read verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? I don't know about you, but when I read that, if it's part of the same conversation, maybe it isn't, but it's like this person's had a revelation 
I get it. Not many are going to be saved. And he asked the question to the Lord. And the Lord said unto them in verse 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And uh, this uh, verse is one that we do well to just remind ourselves from time to start time that we're striving to enter in at the straight gate. We've entered in, as it were, through the right gate in being baptised, filled with God's Holy Spirit. We speak in tongues. We've begun our walk in the Lord, but we need to continue on. The word strive there, it'll uh, hit you pretty uh, well with its meaning when I mention it. It's agonizamahi. Um, agony is uh, the word we take from it. And uh, not that it's agonizing to enter into the kingdom of God, but the word means to contend, to fight, to labor fervently, making an effort in our walk in the Lord to make sure we're getting things right and not drifting back to the natural worries and cares of this life that can weigh us down and burden us, as we've just been reading back in uh, chapter 12, but rather that we're just sowing to the things of the Lord, making ourselves rich in the kingdom of God, serving the Lord, involved in the work of God, making sure we've got good routine and discipline in our life, in our prayer, in our reading of the scriptures, in our involvement in the things of God. Tony and I were talking yesterday and she made a really good point to me. She said, uh, and sometimes people, yeah, it happens every now and again, she's smiling to herself. (laughs) She corrects me every now and again, that's right. And, and she was just making the point. You know, sometimes people try to disassociate walking in the Lord from attending meetings and being involved. They're actually one and the same. They're all part of the same effort that we make. Walking in the Lord is being here. Walking in the Lord is being involved in the fellowship and the work of the fellowship and the work of the Lord. Whenever I talk about countries in Africa and we go over there and move about, um, we don't talk about the fellowship. We don't talk about the assembly. We don't talk about anything other than the work of the Lord, the work of God. It's God's workplace that we've been introduced to and we've come along with our tools and equipment that we can get involved. And we can't offer much of ourselves other than, Lord, here I am, use me. What do you want me to do? What's my role? What's my purpose now to serving you and to helping in the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall you begin to say, we have eaten and drinking in your presence and have taught in our streets. You have taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there are people that, you just picture this on the day of the Lord, 
who are going to turn up and say, we've done it your way, Lord. And yet, they've not been familiar with the Word of God and its requirements. And uh, we need to be reading through the Word and encouraging ourselves what it is that the Lord desires of us. And here I am, Lord, I just want to do whatever pleases you, that I secure my place in the kingdom of God. Paul spoke about it, that I haven't yet attained it. That's Paul the Apostle. The Bible says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, Tony quoted this to me as well. She was stuck into me the other day. Um, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where do the godly, the ungodly, and the sinner appear? And so it's not to condemn anyone that we talk about these things, but it is to remind us it's our walk in the Lord and we want to make the most of it and do that which pleases God, not to worry about natural life and what might lie ahead. Now, whatever age we are, we can worry about the next stage of life and what it might bring. And yet God's got all things in his hand and that we as his people are being cared for, looked after, and I love watching over the years, seeing how the Lord changes people's lives. When you've been around for a while, you can actually see wonderful transformations. You see people who come along who have very little in their life altogether, maybe just a bag full of problems when they first come. And you see them 10 years later, 20 years later. They've got a job, they got married, They've got children that have been brought up in the ways of the Lord. The Lord is blessing them. Everything's just working out. They had their problems along the way, but God is always number one. And the joy of the Lord carries us through all of those situations because we have that assurance the Lord is working for us. Why worry about the natural life? We've got much bigger things to deal with in the things of the Lord and all the people see. Amen. Amen.